Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories from Australia and around the world. This show was produced on unceded Jagara, Jibu and Jarawea land in Toowoomba, Queensland, and broadcast around the continent via the Community Radio Network. My name is Phil Evans, and it's good to be with you for the show. Can't you hear the bell signal the warning? Here comes the storm. Best we be gone Out to the street where the legions are forming Today on the show, we're going to take a look at the urgent need for strong climate action as our thermometers rise, the forests burn, and we drown in a continued sea of disinformation about how we got into this mess in the first place. You only need to turn on the news to hear about the temperature records being smashed or the latest extreme weather disaster in Europe, Asia or the Americas. Locally, we're still reeling from the 2019 fires, the subsequent flooding, and now yet another year threatening extreme bushfire risk. And the government continues to dither and delay when it comes to strong and meaningful climate action. And desperate times call for desperate measures, and long-time activist group Rising Tide are back, back, back again, working on civil resistance movement to answer this call. They're forming legions on the streets, well, the seas to be more specific in this case, planning to bolster civil disobedience campaigns being waged by groups like Blockade Australia or Extinction Rebellion, and the group are inviting folks to join their civil resistance struggle for climate justice. And first in their sights, true to the historic roots of Rising Tide, is King Cole. Time to call in some activist comrades. My name is Alexa. I'm one of the organisers with Rising Tide here in Newcastle or Mullumimba on Awabikal and Waramai country. And also on the same country, Sean Murray. Ah, my old comrade, Mr. Sean Murray. Sean and I met about a decade or so ago in a little collective called Quick Coal in Nam, Melbourne, fighting, you guessed it, coal. So I started by asking Sean the obvious question, are we still fighting this stuff? I guess it's very unfortunate that that is the case, but I think the thing that we've seen over the preceding decades in countries like Australia, we've seen governments of both major parties continue to be deeply in bed with the fossil fuel industry and continue to approve new fossil fuel projects and indeed like subsidise them, spruik our coal and gas overseas, all the rest of it. So, yeah, essentially we've seen state capture from from some countries and just, I guess, more of the business as usual from global capital and fossil fuel companies. Yeah, it's a sad state of affairs. And apologies, Alexa, that we haven't sorted this out for you and your generation yet. <laughs> but I yeah. um, do, do want to welcome you to the show as well and not leave you out. So I was wondering if you could let us know who is Rising Tide? When and how did it form? And how did you get involved? Thanks for having me. It's great to chat. And yeah, Rising Tide is a, a group in Newcastle. It was actually around uh, quite a while ago, kind of between 2004 and 2012, and was one of the first groups in Australia doing nonviolent direct action for climate. And then it kind of took a, bit, a 10 year hiatus. The members went on to do other things. And then just last year, we reformed. And yeah, we're all about using uh, civil resistance to fight for climate justice and specifically against the coal port here in Newcastle, which is the largest coal port in the world. So we're trying to build a mass movement with 
thousands and thousands of people to yeah use people power to really challenge the fossil fuel industry and the export industry especially here in Newcastle and yeah so for me personally my story kind of began in school strike where I was really involved in doing those types of things for a lot of my time in high school and then since graduating kind of you know wasn't as involved in activism for a little while did a a, a few things here and there but then it wasn't till I came to my first rising tide meeting and I just remember sitting in the meeting and like hearing the pitch for this new group and by the end I was like oh I think I think this is going to be something that's going to take up quite a bit of my time and yeah turned out to be very much the case. And climate justice is such an important part to who rising tide are as a group So what does climate justice mean and how does it differ to just say climate action? Climate justice is recognising that climate change is the biggest injustice ever perpetrated. You know, recognising that those who've contributed the least are going to suffer the most. And that means that, you know, young people, First Nations communities, people in the global south, they're all going to feel the brunt of the climate crisis while they have contributed the least. So I think it's holding that really strongly in everything that we do and You know, it means that the solutions that we're fighting for have that justice embedded into it. And, you know, where as we're fighting for action on climate change, we're not just, you know, trying to get just action, but it's more about also challenging the systems that is creating this crisis in the first place as well. So climate justice seems to be a considered and systemic slower response because it requires so much thought and consultation around with other people about what's going on. So people talk about the climate emergency a lot and the urgent action that is required now. How do you reconcile this more considered response with uh, the urgent action that is implied by an emergency? Yeah, it's a good question, hey, and I think it's it's really pointy now because yeah, twenty years ago we would have had time for a, you know a much more orderly transition than we have time for now. But ultimately, when when we talk about the climate emergency, we're we're talking about an emergency of justice because the lives of seven billion people are on the line, millions of species are on the line. And so that is the emergency that we're talking about. It's like the the fact the that those people may l- lose their livelihoods or their lives. And the other hand, it's like in in countries that are extracting, producing, using the lion's share of fossil fuels, we also have workers and communities who are embedded in those systems of production, extraction, you know, exporting, all the rest of it, who have not been helped through an orderly transition to date by strong government leadership. So that's the other side of of the injustice that we face. But we know that governments have billions of dollars at their disposal. When the political will takes them, they can suddenly spend, you know, 300 odd billion dollars on nuclear submarines or 300 odd billion dollars on tax cuts for the rich, stage three tax cuts that they're rolling out. So these things, it's like, you know, the amount of money that's been talked about relatively when we talk about just transition is a fraction of that. And so, and it's ultimately not heaps of people that we're talking about that have jobs in these mining communities. I think it's like less than work at McDonald's. Sean's right. McDonald's employs more than 100,000 people nationwide. 
Whilst according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, there were just 34,300 people employed in coal mining across Australia in the year 2021 to 2022. In fact, the entire coal industry employed just 36,000 people, which was equivalent to 0.2% of the 14.9 million jobs recorded in the Australian economy. That being said, Maccas and the coal miners do have one thing in common. They both have a terrible environmental record, putting profit before the planet. And really, the thing, the political blockage to all of this is the mega profits that these very well-connected, influential fossil fuel companies are making at this time. Glencore, who operates 17 coal mines across Queensland and New South Wales, made almost a quarter of a trillion dollars in revenue, up a whopping 250% last year. The increase, according to market experts, was largely driven by soaring coal prices as a result of the Ukraine-Russia war. Despite indirectly profiting off the misery of others, they seem unwilling to reinvest into communities that bring them into their riches. When challenged in the Sydney Morning Herald about why Glencore seemingly paid so little in tax, Glencore's then head of coal assets, Peter Freyberg, responded, and I quote, Glencore's coal business has invested heavily into sustaining, expanding and building coal mines in Australia, end quote. But even miners with questionable ethical and environmental records like Rio Tinto, who know that coal is or will soon be over, have left the game. And while Glencore have committed to stopping coal mining by 2050, this sort of false hope of the continuation of coal in communities who are somewhat reliant on it for their local economies is just plain unfair. I asked Alexa about what was happening on the ground in the Hunter Valley. That's where most of the coal that is exported from Newcastle Port comes from. Particularly, I was interested in what was happening to transition those communities away from coal. Definitely there is. There's a lot of work happening in our region, I would say. There's the Hunter Jobs Alliance who are doing a lot in this space, which is kind of the bridging the gap between, you know, unions and environmentalists to make sure that the transition to renewables is just and fair. And then, yeah, there's also talk of some big off offshore wind project off the coast of near Newcastle. A 5,000 square kilometre area offshore from Newcastle has been proposed as the location for an offshore wind farm with the capacity to create up to 8 gigawatts of power. That's enough to power almost 6 million homes. The government claims it will create 4,800 construction jobs and 2,400 ongoing jobs in the region which would be really good to see. But I guess, as Shawnee said, what's really just lacking here is the political will. And it's just such a shame and so frustrating that this wasn't happening 10, 20 years ago. And now we are at that point in history where this transition does need to happen really, really urgently and really fast. And so I guess we just need, yeah, really strong leadership from our governments to to step up and make sure that it can be done fast, fair and forever. Climate justice, civil resistance, there's a rising tide for change and we're talking to Sean and Alexa from Rising Tide today on Earth Matters with your host Phil Evans. Glad you can join us.
Missed any of today's conversation or want to listen again? Why not head over to 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters where you can find this podcast along with all of our other shows. Maybe you've already done that or you're listening to us via your favourite podcasting service like iTunes or Spotify. And if you are, pop over and give us a review. It helps us to spread the word. Why? Because the Earth Matters. Earlier in the show, Alexa had mentioned this idea of civil resistance. Many people may be more familiar with terms like nonviolent direct action or civil disobedience. So I asked Alexa what she meant by this. Yeah, so I guess civil resistance is talking about the sustained and escalatory use of tactics like nonviolent direct action and civil disobedience. Those terms, of course, you meaning to describe, you know, when you're breaking the law or actively disrupting systems that are morally wrong. So that can take place in a whole variety of ways and I guess the difference between that and civil resistance is that civil resistance is talking about having a big movement and and using it in a sustained manner. So what we're talking about is, you know, we're currently in our build-up stage and our build-up stage is about getting 10,000 people to take this pledge to say that they will join this civil resistance movement. And then once we reach those critical numbers, that's when we'll know that we'll have enough people enough power that we can launch waves of resistance and that will look like having multiple days multiple weeks of action where we're actively disrupting the world's biggest culprit in Newcastle and you know that's when we're going to be able to really put the pressure on the fossil fuel industry and on our government that is still pro-fossil fuels despite you know the the enormity of the climate crisis. Right around the country, we've seen an authoritarian shift by state governments to outlaw protest and silent dissent in the community. In New South Wales, following highly publicised protests by several groups, the New South Wales government ushered through amendments to the Road Amendment Regulations and introduced the Road and Crimes Legislation Amendment Act from 2022 to Parliament without public consultation. These new laws were so broad that a group of people could face serious criminal charges simply by protesting near a railway station and causing people to be redirected around them. They mean peaceful protesters could be fined up to $22,000 or face up to two years in jail. In fact, one young person was jailed for 15 months following a protest on Sydney Harbour Bridge, but that sentence was rightly later overturned. These laws have been challenged by courageous knitting nanas, backed by the Environmental Defenders Office. We'll check in on those laws in a future show. Civil disobedience actions involve knowingly breaking and challenging the law. And I asked Alexa, as a 19-year-old, whether those risks to her and her future weighed heavily on her mind. Well, I guess I come, my background is school strike for climate. And I think what we did so well is we got the mass numbers. We all remember those times, you know, back in 2019, when there were just tens of thousands, like hundreds of thousands of people on the streets. And that was so powerful. 
And then we have other groups who've been doing these more disruptive tactics, like you did mention Blockade Australia. And I guess what we're trying to do is we're trying to marry those two. So we're trying to get those big numbers of people. And then once we have thousands of people that we engage in that more disruptive behaviour together rather than just as like a handful of people. And how I see that is that it's 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 a very different experience getting arrested with 50 other people as it is just by yourself, which can be a more, more scary experience. So for me, I got arrested last year. Five teenagers have been arrested after a protest at the Newcastle office of Whitehaven Coal. The action, which lasted several hours, saw the teens, along with dozens of parents and supporters, enter the Scott Street premises where they sat on the floor chanting. We were doing a sit-in at Whitehaven Coles' office and there were five teenagers who all got arrested together. And, you know, I think doing it with with that group of people and then there were another about 20 folks who were there with us and supporting us, I think that makes it a lot less intimidating and a lot more of an empowering experience to do. And one of our key ways that we see change is that we're not going to engage in as massive and sustained disruption until we do have critical mass that we can withstand that repression. Because what are they going to do when when we start to get thousands of people who are engaging in that disruptive behaviour? It's a lot more difficult for that them to yeah really come down hard on that and I think when we get to that point we'll start seeing critical mass and seeing that the vast majority of the population actually are behind us and actually do support our demands. There's also like a massive narrative struggle that's taking place here and that's between pro-fossil fuel governments and industry on the one hand who are saying coal and gas are essential for our way of life, blah, blah, blah. They employ tens of thousands of people and they're just saying, oh, and PS, we're, we're taking climate action, look at our you know emissions reduction targets, we're building more renewable energy, et cetera, et cetera. In the meantime, governments continue to approve new fossil fuel projects, mm. which flies in the face of you know, all expert advice, but they're still pushing this bullshit line. Excuse my language. We'll bleep that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know what else to call it. Our, our story that we are coming with is that, well, you are destroying our future. You are endangering the lives of billions of people. You're endangering millions of species. This is This is madness. And it's like, when we represent ordinary citizens who just want a safe life for ourselves mm. and our our kids and others around the world and other species, it's not it's not a lot to ask. It's quite reasonable what we're saying, and so and this is this is the tussle going on. And they keep saying, "Oh, you're extremists," and we're like, "Well, no, we're not. We're just like eminently reasonable people. We're just mm. average people who just want a safe and normal life." Like. And they they are in the pockets of the industry, and it's just it yeah it sucks that it comes to this, but we know that with thousands of ordinary people taking action together, peaceful, committed, we know that we can we can win this battle of the the narrative, which that means that suddenly they don't they just can't come down on us hard, they can't arrest all of us, and nor will they 
and that's what we're starting to see already. Well, like we saw a an article in the local paper on the weekend where we're talking about the blockade and the Clover Moore's saying how it's urgent and necessary and she supports it and Adam Bant is and Senator David Pocock. And we just have all of these people who are with us now. And, and the strongest line that they're saying against us is like, well, please exercise caution. Mm. So the, the narrative is shifting. And as the narrative shifts, the authorities are just far, far less willing and, you know, able to crack down on on protest. Yeah, and I think, you know, for a young person, going back to that idea of the fear of getting arrested, for me, that fear is nothing compared to the fear of what my future is going to look like if we're seeing rolling climate disasters and ecological collapse. You know, it's it's such a, a small personal sacrifice for me to make that that fear is nothing compared to the fear of climate change. It is true. There is so much going on around the world in terms of the climate crisis. And, you know, desperate times do call for desperate measures. You're really right. Now, you don't have to do a hard sell on me, but many of our listeners will be interested to hear about what is coming up for Rising Tide. I know that there is uh, plans to use canoes to blockade the world's largest coal port, which is exciting. I first did a similar action to that back in 2014 with the Pacific Climate Warriors, where uh, a bunch of people bought canoes made in homelands around the Pacific Islands to do so. Uh, This has happened quite a few times. So what's different about this upcoming event for Rising Tide in November? Yeah, yeah. So um, in November, from the 24th to the 27th, we're going to be having uh, the People's Blockade of the World's Largest Coal Port. So for this time, you know, you mentioned we've done it a few times in the past. It is, you know, a tactic that being in the world's largest coal port is, you know, a, a... a great tactic for us to use but what makes this one different for any that have, has happened before is that rather than just doing it for one day for like a few hours this time we're doing it over two days so it's going to be a big escalation we're going to be doing blockading all day on the saturday and the sunday including overnight so for a full total of 30 hours we are hoping um and doing everything that we can to block the coal ships because you know there's about Four coal ships come or go out through the Newcastle coal port every day and and what is it? It's about 100,000 tonnes of coal on each of those ships. So, you know, it's it's massive what we're talking about. And the, the Newcastle coal port, the coal that's exported from this port is responsible for 1% of global emissions. So it's it's just massive and that's why we think that, you know, having a, a flagship battle and a flagship struggle in Newcastle is really important because it's such a globally significant target. And so, yeah, we're really excited about it. There's going to be, we're expecting over 3,000 people coming and Whoa. including a lot from all around the country are going to be travelling to it, which will uh, likely make this the largest civil disobedience for climate in Australia's history. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be big and it's going to be amazing. I already know that a lot of people who uh, listen to Earth Matters will be as excited as I am to get involved in that massive people's blockade of Newcastle Coalport on November 24. And of course, if people want to find out more about that, they can go to risingtide.org.au. 
But I want to thank you both for being on the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Phil. Can't you hear the bell signal the warning? Here comes the storm. Best we be gone. Out to the street where the legions are forming. I heard the call more than ever before. If we just scream on our screens, we will forget what it means. I am flesh, I am blood. Much deeper than that There are brothers and sisters Whose burdens Are stacked so it's breaking their backs If we just scream at our screens We will forget what it means is called Change Has to Come by Moju, which we heard little bits of snippets from all throughout today's show, which featured Alexa Stewart and Sean Murray from the Newcastle-based group Rising Tide talking about climate justice, the escalation of tactics as the climate crisis deepens via their civil resistance movement, and the upcoming event on November 24, the People's Blockade of the World's Largest Coal Port. That looks like a pretty exciting one to get along to, so do mark it in your calendars and check out risingtide.org.au. That's risingtide.org.au where you can find out more details and take that pledge that we talked about to be part of the civil resistance movement. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the program out to you. Earth Matters is produced by 3CR on Wurundjeri Country. If you'd like to get in contact, you can send us an email at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or go to our Facebook page. I hope you can tune in next time for more Earth Matters. <laughs>